Okay, so I'm uh, Kieran Quinn. I'm the research support librarian here in Maynooth. So I'm just going to talk to you about increasing the visibility of your search. So I suppose in a way it'll probably overlap with what people have been talking about already. But it's probably a bit more on the technology side, the various kind of web tools you can use, databases, uh, bibliometric databases in particular, uh, peer networks, and altmetrics is what I'm going to talk a bit about. So that would be alternative metrics. So in other words, ones that wouldn't be dealing with the traditional uh, databases. Okay, they'd be looking at things like social networking, social media, and so on. Okay. So this is just a rough, I suppose, outline of what I'll be looking at. Um, the strategies bit, I say, will probably will overlap a little bit with what you've been talking about, but they do relate to the technology as well. Uh, using keywords, author identities. So that's just making sure that you have a unique author identity and that all your papers are you know, assigned to your identity. Uh, quickly, what are bibliometrics? Uh, identifying your academic footprint. So I suppose that's kind of seeing where, you're, where you are, you know, the state of the nation and such. Um, then tracking your citations. Uh, identifying top-ranked journals. They'll be trying to find out like what is the top journal in your field. So wh where should you be publishing? Okay. And then academic collaborations and altmetrics. Okay. And again, collaboration is a great way of, I suppose, increasing your profile. You know, obviously, the more people are involved, the more chance they'll be cited. So you, in turn, will be cited as well. So. Okay. So just briefly, I suppose, um, probably the most important thing is make yourself discoverable. Okay. If you can't be found, you won't be cited. So in other words, if people can't find your work, they can't cite you, and it's as simple as that. So you want to make yourself as visible as possible in the academic world, okay? And that's a question of thinking about where will people be looking for you and how are they going to be searching for you, okay? So things, for example, like keywords in your paper, okay? You want to think about what keywords you're going to use and even how you describe your subject area and does that fit in with how other people describe it? And again, that'll help you be found. Like, for example, in Maynooth, these research clusters, they're, they're kind of talking about the terminology they use for their subject area, okay, and how that fits into the broader economic or academic world. And when you do decide in your keywords, use them throughout the paper, for example, in the title, in the abstract, and just be consistent on the words you actually use, okay, so again, to make yourself findable. And you could use, there's various classification schemes. You're probably familiar with MeSH, CINAHL, uh, for more science people, MTree, Library of Congress, but again, different subjects have different, uh, I suppose, ways of classifying their subject area. So again, it's worth checking out the indexes and just seeing if you can use those or not. Um, and then when you do use them, search them to see if you find results that relate to your search area. So when you decide the keywords you're going to use, search them and see if you actually are findable or not. So in other words, try to mimic what other people are going to be doing. And if you're logged into Google, switch that off, because obviously Google knows who you are, knows what you like to search. You know, so switch it off so it'll actually do a real search, okay, rather than one sort of search it thinks you want. So you can mimic what other people are looking for, if that makes sense. Um, and then maybe check how Google Scholar and PubMed work. I mean, also they're going to collate a lot of information, but check you know, how they search and collate material, what journals and repositories they search from, because again, that could influence where you decide to put your material. You know, if you deposit your material somewhere that, isn't, that they don't cover, they're not going to find it. And in turn, then the researcher is not going to find that information. So again, just have to be a bit strategic, I suppose, about the process. Okay. Um, make yourself findable. Um, web crawlers, probably a bit too technical, but uh, for example, Google, finds material by just crawling the web and pulling it in randomly, it just collects URLs and use a thing called Google Boss. So maybe just check out how Google Scholar decides what it's going to collect and what its own guidelines are. So again, make sure that maybe that you put your material in a place that they actually search. Okay. Um, and make sure the web crawler can access them, that they're not behind a paywall or a login screen. For, so for example, if all your material is behind a paywall, it's not going to be able to access it. Like a lot of institutions will actually specifically ban robots 
controlling their information. So again, if Google users can't access your information, you're not going to be found, you're not going to be cited. So again, worth checking that out as well, um, and the coverage. Um, and that would include things like Blackboard, Blackboard Moodle, you know, the various kind of platforms you'd use. Okay, they'd be blocked. Uh, some peer networks as well, things like ResearchGate. You have to actually join up to ResearchGate to be able to access the material. So again, the normal Google user isn't going to be able to make that leap into your resources. So just something to think about. Whereas other ones like academia.edu, that is accessible. So just something to bear in mind. And maybe check how Google rankings work as well. Because that's often a great mystery. You know, how do searches actually appear and what sequence they appear in? So it's worth checking out you know, ways that you can enhance your discoverability. Um, other thing, this more I suppose along the lines of bibliometrics, uh, maybe choose journal titles that are highly cited and indexed by a number of different databases. So again, if you want to be findable, you need to be publishing in the top academic journals that people are actually referring to for their research and in turn that they will cite from. Because there can be huge differences between different journals, you know, and who's reading them and whether they are the main journal for that academic area. So just again something to think about. And you can check that out in journal citation reports in Web of Science and compare journal in Scopus. You know, and again, bear in mind all these databases as well, they only have limited data sets. They don't cover everything. There is no one place to go to. But if you do want to get into those scholarly peer-reviewed journals, it's worth searching those major databases. Because again, if, you are, if the journal you want to publish in is represented in those databases, then again, you will be more discoverable. You will be cited. So again, something to bear in mind. And, and even with the citation thing, though, some journals a lot more articles are cited from those journals than others, so just bear that in mind. Now, another thing you might want to check out is just what's getting traction in your research area. So I suppose what's hot in your research area is worth checking out. Again, this comes into the whole strategy side of things. Like probably you should be writing, um, it sounds very non-academic, I suppose, in a way, that you should be writing in areas that are hot in journals that are cited. So again, it's the whole strategy thing, you know. Um, so for example, for that, you might check, you know, what in, in Science Direct, for example, they'd have a top 25 hottest articles at the moment. So again, you can see what people are writing about. For example, at the moment, if you're writing about Ebola, you're in. That is just major at the moment. Okay? But again, very hard to plan these things. Um, and you might, but you also might want to look at where are the top authors publishing. So if you find authors in your subject area, you might be interested in where are they actually publishing. And I suppose mimic what they're doing. You know, if it's working for them, it might work for you as well. At least you know then as well that the people in your research area are actually reading that journal. Okay? So in turn, they'll read you and you'll get cited. Um, be consistent, and author identity can be a big issue. It's getting better than it was, and that's just to make sure that you do have a unique author identity in the major database. So that'd be for Web of Science, for uh, Scopus, even things like Google, so that people do find you. So if you get married and change your name, if you, you have one article, you might use initials, the other one might use your full name. You know, and just make sure that they are actually using your consistent identity, and in turn that the correct articles are attached to you. Because otherwise what'll happen is you could have several different identities. And so obviously you're not going to be found as much as if you've one consistent identity so they can find all your work. Okay, and turn aside from you. Um, set up a researcher ID. So again, if you're an organization, a lot of them, we have a thing called RIS here, the Research Information System. So that's how, where the researchers here set up their identity. And you probably have something similar in your own institution. Again, that's worth doing. And then they can attach your articles to that. So again, people looking up the institution, looking for somebody in a research area, knows exactly who you are, who's available, and so on. Okay. Um, ORCID is another one. Again, I'll be going on to that in a minute. Uh, Scopus, Web of Science, various peer networks, Google Citations, PubMed, they all allow you to set up and monitor your identity. And again, if you're not happy with it, then you can you know, change, you, know, you can actually tell them which articles should be attached to you and which ones shouldn't be. Okay. 
Um, use your affiliation identity correctly as well. Very important, I'm sure Suzanne was talking about that. But again, make sure that your identity is correct. Because again, there could be variations on it. You know, you could be Maynooth University, NUI Maynooth, NUIM, all these different possible variations for your institution. So just think about that. And again, the title of the study that you've conducted, maybe use that in the title of your work. You know, again, to make you findable. You know, it's the easiest way to find things on Google is if the, the study and the title relate to each other. So you're probably tempted to be obscure and do an interesting title. But really what you want is people to find your work. You know, so just be straightforward and, you know, and they mentioned the, the title of the study in your work. Keep the title disguised, concise, and be clear and descriptive. So keep it simple. You know, think of yourself as a researcher trying to find work and how you actually research stuff and try and mimic that so people can find you. Um, publish thought-provoking critical pieces or literature reviews. Sounds obvious, but be interesting. And, you know, these traditionally have higher citation rates, you know. And there is, I suppose, a thing in citation as well that, you know, people who get cited a lot, it isn't necessarily the best article. It could also be the most interesting or the most controversial article. You know, so just bear that in mind as well. Um, and literature reviews as well, you know, they can be cited from as well. So, you know, do write those as well. Um, and when you are doing your research, you use the library resources. Like a lot of people just use Google or PubMed. But do you use the, prop the databases? I mean, they will help you in your searching. And you'll have a far broader literature review as well. So again, if you're, if you're kind of hooking into the current literature, again, you have a better chance of being cited and discovered. Okay. Um, deposit your research in open access repositories. If they are available to you, do put your work into them. Okay. And these can be institutional or subject repositories. Like there would be the institutional repositories, but there's also subject-based ones. So there could be a repository for your subject area. So for example, there's Ag Economics, um, ARC, XIV, that's a mainly physics repository. Another economics one, Social Science Research Network, uh, Europe PubMed Central. So again, depending on your research area, there might be another kind of subject-based repository where you could put your work. And that doesn't necessarily have to be published work. That could be work, just your research, it could be data. There's various options for depositing your work. Okay. Uh, shared data. This is the thing, I suppose, it isn't so big in Ireland yet, but in the UK it would be major, the research data management. So again, thinking about when you are doing your research, you know, how are you going to house your the actual results of your research? You know, and make it available to other researchers if they wanted to rerun your research. Or you might want to get cited from that data. Might be another option for you. But again, it's something that's gradually developing, I think, in Ireland. People are starting to think about how to store the research and make it accessible. So that might be something that you might plan for, even like you can imagine if you go back to your research five years after you've written it, can, can another researcher actually understand what you've researched? You know, can they repeat your research? You know, that, that can be common problems rather than having them redo the research. Okay, and there are internal institutional repositories for that. There's external ones as well, some things like PLOS, the Public Library of Science, is somewhere you could deposit your data, if you don't mind to. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, do presentations of your findings. So even before you publish, maybe do presentations and share those on Figshare or SlideShare. There might be an option for you. So again, there's more and more options now to share. It doesn't have to be the fully complete paper, peer-reviewed. You know, you can get yourself out there, you know, and put your presentations. And it's amazing with SlideShare, the number of people who actually read them, who will download you, who will view your work, who will save it, share it with other people. So again, it's a great way of making yourself visible. Okay. Uh, think about your audience. Who's your audience going to be? And again, select an appropriate journal so you'll be read and cited. Um, and there can be, sometimes be a bit of a conflict there. You know, I suppose peer-reviewed scholarly journals might be what suits you. On the other hand, you might also be interested in peer journals. So for example, if you're doing a lot of public policy papers, a more professional kind of work, 
it might not necessarily fit into the academic scholarly type of journal. So you might want to think, actually, I'll get published in the more kind of professional journals. Okay. Um, again, this is I suppose, another bit of controversy. It was the H index, which you might have heard of. That's, it's kind of like an average of the number of times you've been cited. But some academics like, find this all a bit rigorous, you know, that they're basically telling you where you should be researching, where you should be publishing, you know, how much you should be publishing, and is that a threat to you know, academic freedom? So these are all sorts of things that you need to think about. So I suppose it's career progression using the mo models like H-index versus being well-known in your own professional area. You know, so I suppose you have to think about what's, what aspect of publishing is important to you. Okay. Collaboration, that's going to increase your publication numbers and citations. And again, there's more and more opportunities now to actually go out and find potential collaborations. Okay? That's, that might be something you could think about. Again, it'll certainly increase the number of publications you produce and certainly the number of citations. Okay? And you get to meet loads of people as well, so that's, that can be nice. Um, lead author. Um, get your name in first if possible. Don't be the et al. I suppose it can be useful. Sometimes you can get lost in the et al. So, you know, be pushy and and get up top. Not always easy, but you know, it is worth getting your name up there first, I suppose, so at least you're, you will be the name that will be cited on the document. But again, it's something I suppose you have to think about yourself. Um, and track your research. And this is something, again, you can do with lots of technology. So you can track you know, who's viewing you, who's citing you, who's downloading you. And again, that could be, a, apart from the fact you'll find out if you're being cited or not, you'll also maybe find out people who are researching in your area that are interested in the work you do. So that might be worth thinking about. Again, you know, a way of forming other collaborations. You know, so you can do lists of your publications and just see you know, who, who is interested in your work. And vice versa, you can track other people, of course, as well that you're interested in. And you can set up alerts in most of the databases, so including Web of Science, Scopus, Google Scholar. But most databases now will let you, you know, set up your own profile and track documents and set up alerts. So it might be something worth doing. Um, this is just a thing from Taylor Francis. So you notice that depending on who you're publishing with, they all will have very good guides in there as well. I'm sure this has been covered already, but just how to promote your article. Loads of tips. Okay. Okay. So keywords, again, this is just to reiterate, these are just some of the, what I did with this, because I knew you would be getting the handouts, so, you know, kind of packing as much information as I could into them. But this is just MESH, medical subject headings, CINAHL is a nursing one, M-Tree, life sciences, Library of Congress, subject headings. Then most of the databases, well, will have a thesauri built into them, so they're worth checking out as well. Again, just seeing how your subject is described and how different subjects relate to each other. So again, it could be worth using those as keywords, again, to make yourself more findable when people are actually looking for you. Uh, author identities. Um, again, this is something you can do in Web of Science. You can set up a researcher ID in there. And again, what, the, what, what that will basically do is it will then search the database and attach all your articles to it, and then you can have a look and see if they are your articles, and then you can tell them if they are your articles or not, and if your author identity is correct or not. Scopus do that. Orchid do that. Google Scholar citations, okay? And then you might have institutional versions as well where, again, you can set your own profile up, okay? So, and this is just a, a screenshot of what the Web of Science one would look like. Again, you just sign in, set up an account, and that's it. And then you can attach documents to it. And so that's a, you see, this is the kind of rough, so this is one, go to this one. Yeah, this is an example. So this is gonna give you your details there's an option there to export your information into ORCID, which again, this is the U that's the UK uh, author identity uh, database. You can attach your publications, they'll all be in there. So again, you know, handy resource to have, way of tracking your, what your publications are. This is what Scopus does. 
So this is just a researcher I have in here, Manuth one, Werner Mahan. So again, it'll tell you from telling you his H-index, which I'll get onto in a minute. Also, there's an option there to request more author uh, corrections. So if you wanted to correct your author details, you could do that. And this is ORCID. ORCID, again, is just a free online thing. You just go into the ORCID website and set up your account, and it'll look something like that. So again, your personal details. So you can put in as much information as you want. So you can nearly turn it into a you know, CV if you wanted to as well. But down the bottom here, again, you can have you know, links into your publications, funding as well. So if you wanted to monitor where you're getting your funding from, you can do that as well. Okay. And these are just different links that ORCID will pull in. So these are just different repositories. Again, and they'll link up with ORCID, and again, it'll pull all your publications in. Okay. Now, and again, you can ask me about ORCID, but there's actually an ORCID champion in Ireland, and it's uh, Michael Laddish. He's in UCD, so he's a good man as well to chat to ORCID about if you're interested in that. Is that something you're familiar with? Have you heard about ORCID? Or? Yeah. Now, it's relatively new, but a, a good resource, and again, it should give you that kind of you know, pull together all the different identifiers from other databases. That's the idea. It's going to be you know, a unique author digital identifier. So. Can I ask, yep. is ORCID itself a database, or is it coming through some other service? Oh, no, it is a database in yeah. its own right, yeah. Uh, so do you have to subscribe to ORCID? You don't, no, it's free. It's free. It's free, so yeah. You can just go to ORCID yeah. on the internet. Yeah, and again, you'll, you'll see it in the Web of Science database in Scopus. There's an op option to just click on it and export your information to them. Mm. And again, the idea is just to have that one identifier you know, to keep all your, all your information together. Uh, Google Scholar you can do it with as well. Again, set your profile up in there if you wanted to. And you'll end up with something like this. And again, opportunity to pull together, and that'll actually search Google and pull in any documents that are on Google Scholar for you and list them out, and it'll give you a number of citations, h-index, and so on. Okay. And you can do two ways. Either it'll directly suggest articles for you and you can pull them in, or else you can manually put in details and then it'll go off and search. Do you recommend that we, we use all of these places? Well, 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 well this, is the, this is the thing, isn't it? And, you know, I'll, I'll get to that later. It's a bit of an overload mm -hmm. in a way that there's, there's so many different options. And I think in a way they haven't quite got to what they want to do with it. Mm. And in a way, Orchid is an attempt at that to try and get this unique place where you can pull all your material together. But again, so the thing is, well, the data sets are different. So whereas something like Web of Science and Scope is very much focused on scholarly peer-reviewed, something like Google Scholar is much broader, which has its advantages. No, it'll, it'll cover books, for example, as well, a lot of conference proceedings, seminars, a lot of material that isn't quite as academic. As, you know, so in, in that way, your profile could be stronger on Google Scholar than it would be on Web of Science or Scopus. You know? But then on the other hand, for going for maybe academic positions, they might be focused more on Web of Science and Scopus. So. You know, you've got to balance these things out. But it's certainly interesting, and it's certainly a good way to pull all your articles together, I think. You know, um, and it'll be a screen just like that. So you just open up your page, and you can put in the title of your work. And then it'll go off and search Google and pull it in from wherever. It might be an institutional repository or wherever it's actually living, or an academic journal. Okay. And this is something I'll come to this afternoon. These are the researcher social networking. And that's another aspect of it, again, where Academics can load up their academic articles, but what you can also do is you can load data up, you can presentations you've done, all sorts of material, and share it with other academics and groups. And then you can, you can form, it's like social networking as well, so you can pose research questions and chat to other academics. So, so we'll get to that later. This is just the research information system. So this is the one we use in Maynooth. And it's, it's basically where you can you know, put your profile in, and it'll monitor grants and funding and you know, what you've published and so on. 
you know, again, it depends on your institution. You might have different versions of that. But a lot of academic institutions would have their own uh, resource. I'll just put this in. We don't have it here, but you hear it talked about a lot pure. And that's the one from Elsevier Science. That's what they're just, So some of you might be using that or thinking about using that. But again, it's just another version of the same thing. And again, it's that idea to pull together the whole academic profile, details of the academic publications, grants, and so on. Again, of course, the university can monitor that then as well for their strategy. Um, so your current footprint. So this might be, I suppose, tools if you wanted to find out you know, where you're actually at at the moment. And the one you often hear about is H-index. And it's, it's kind of, a, I suppose, H it's kind of like a rough average. So for example, if your H-index was 10, it would say that you have uh, 10 articles that have been cited at least 10 times. Okay? Now, you might have articles that have been cited 100 times, but they're averaging it out. And that's what you'd often hear with academics, you know, when they're going for academic positions, they'd be asking, you know, what's your H-index? So that's what that is. Uh, again, loads of controversy over that, because there's quite a few different H-indexes that measure things, you know, so some people might say, well, actually, you know, might want to measure what point of my career I'm at. I want to, might want to, you know, have it subject-based. There might be various different, you know, reasons that you might want to tweak it. So, but the basic one is, is, is an average. And it's going to measure the productivity and the impact of a researcher. Okay. And it can measure things like subject area and career stage as well. Okay, and as I mentioned, it doesn't reflect the larger citation numbers for individual articles. Okay. Um, good tip might be to actually find you know, your current citations and create a master list. You know, try and put together a list. Like you're saying there, do you really have to put your resources into everything? But maybe for yourself, have a list of everything you've published and try and pull all that together and then try and track your citations. So at least you'll, you'll know where you're at, because a lot of time people kind of forget nearly what they've published. That would that, be, I suppose, the first good thing to do. Uh, Find your publications, find how they rank. Set up alerts on your articles. So again, you're going to find out if anybody is citing your work or not. It can be useful to know. And you can use various databases for that, Scopus, Web of Science, Google Scholar, and so on. Again, the flag, you know, if anybody does cite your work. Um, but again, all that, it can be a frustrating thing, because you imagine, like, if, you, if you're new to publishing, it all takes time. Like, for a start, it takes time to get published, and then in turn, it takes time to get cited. So that's where I'll come on to altmetrics later. That can be a much more immediate measure of interest in your work. Uh, again, citation tracking, I've kind of covered this, but again, most of the databases that you're familiar with um, will do some level of citation tracking. So I've just put in a fairly extensive listing of some of the ones we have here. And again, they'll do different levels of citation. Like some of them are based on a huge number of resources. Others are just based on just that one database. So, you know, they, they all have uh, pros and cons to them. But again, they're in the handout, so you can kind of go through those and maybe check, depending on what database you have access to, of course, as well, and see what's available for you. Um, so Scopus, um, again, this is a database here. Some of you might have it, some of you might not. But uh, again, it'd be a major kind of citation database. And it's from Elsevier Science, as opposed to something like Web of Science, which is Thomson Reuters. So the rough difference, I suppose, would be Scopus is from about 1996 onwards. It's from Elsevier, it's Dutch. Uh, Web of Science is from Thomson Reuters. It's American, so different data sets. Um, Scopus is probably a bit better on computer sciences, electronic engineering. Um, does more proceedings, seminars, that kind of thing, than Web of Science would do. But both very good databases. Um, but some nice functionality. You can do, for example, an author search, and you get results up with that. So it'll tell you the number of documents that are in the data set for you. It's given me h-index there, 24. You can analyze the author output. Um, you can also tweak your author details if you want to. And the analysis of your author output will look something like this. So you can see it's fairly extensive. It'll give you all your documents all laid out there, where you're publishing, 
breakdown there of the major documents by source, again, where you're publishing, uh, your h-index, all your citations, your co-authors, you know. So a very quick way of uh, looking at your own results, and it, indeed looking at somebody else. So again, if you knew somebody else that's publishing a lot in your subject area, you could go in there and see their profile, you know, and find out where are they publishing. That could, you know, help your decision of where you're going to publish. Okay. And again, that's what the Jesus just one article would look like. And again, there's going to be a link there to all the other articles. And again, that's the power of these databases. You know, if you have one core article, it'll tell you pretty much everybody else that's citing that article and lead you off to exciting adventures in academia. This is the Web of Science version. And again, this might be one you're more familiar with. I think this is one more commonly available, Web of Science. And again, that will track based on the social science citation indexes, science citation index, arts and humanities indexes, which you might have heard of. And again, if I do an author search, I'll end up results, something like that. So again, it'll give me publications by year, citations in each year, h-index again. You can see there actually the h-index is quite different for Web of Science. So again, the data sets kind of matter in how you appear. Because obviously Web of Science is a different data set to Scopus. So there's quite a difference there in the h-index. You know, and that could be just the choice of journals that the author publishes in, the coverage of the different databases and so on. And it all affects your academic profile. That's another one. Again, you might have published or perish. Have you heard of this one? Um, this is a free tool that was uh, built by somebody called Harzing. And it uses the data set of Google Scholar as its data set. So again, this is the one that might be more favorable to you, especially if you're t you know, a lot of academics publish a lot of book chapters and so on, or you might be in a lot of conferences. So again, in this one, the h-index is 25. Again, it's using a different data set. They're listed out. Um, Again, it wouldn't be as, I suppose, um, well-developed as Web of Science or Scopus. You know, again, it's, you know, it's web-based searching. But you will probably find a lot of your resources that you know, you've nearly forgotten about. But again, they're all listed out for you. And you probably will have to do more editing to go in and just make absolutely sure that it is actually you. That the author identity wouldn't be as rigorous as the other ones. And again, there you can check journal impacts in there as well. But again, that's a free one you could download. So just Google that, download it, and then you can search for yourself, other authors, you know, journal titles, whatever interests you. Okay, so it is an option. Um, so journal impact factors. Any questions? I know I'm kind of flying through this. It's supposed to be a lot of ground to cover, but I say it, it is kind of, I suppose, in the present, in the, yeah. Great question, yeah. The application, multiple profiles. Yeah. Personally, I would, but I suppose it is a time constraint. Again, because the data sets are different. Right. And you're dealing with different kinds of information. So if you really want to get a good sense of where you're at. Just like, like I do have one problem, just in terms of like confusion with multiple IDs and all the rest, mm. you know, do you find that, that would be an issue? Or? It can be. Um, with Scopus, one, you can correct it. Like, and a lot of these, once you set your own profile up, you can go in and, you know, suggest to them that this is also you and they should be, that you can merge the authors together. So, which is a relatively new development. Used to be, we used to have to contact them. You know, and the update, I think Web of Science update about every six months or so. I think Scopus are a bit more regular. But definitely it is doable. Yeah, and if you find articles that aren't, are incorrectly attached to you or articles that are attached to somebody else, definitely worth checking out and getting it corrected. Okay. Um, now, the journal impact factors, another thing, this is for when you decide, you know, where do I actually want to publish? You know, if you want to find the top-ranked journal in your subject area. That's the facility you would use. And again, that's going to be in the Web of Science database, Scopus, 
Um, again, the journal citation reports is probably the one most people are familiar with, and that's in Web of Science. And then Scopus have a, also have a compare journals option, and they compare journals as well. Uh, there's a free one called SkyMago, which is based on the Elsevier data set, but that's one anybody can look at. And I think it's based on the last four years of data. And again, it's based on say, the Elsevier Science databases. Uh, another one is called Impact Factor Search, and that's based on uh, journal citation reports data. That's another free one you could use. So again, if you don't have access to these bigger databases, there are kind of free versions based on, I suppose, you know, slightly older data sets, but still very useful that you could use. Publisher Parish, I mentioned that. Some subjects like law aren't really covered. Like a lot of the big databases, they'd be traditionally science-focused. They are better now, they're more social sciences, they're getting more humanities in there, but the, their history would be scientific. So you'd have things like for law, they have to set this one, Washington Lee University have you know, journal citations for the law faculties. It's a, you know, their own calculation. Okay. So we're worth checking out. Hein Online, another uh, law one. Uh, EBSCO do a certain amount, but they only deal with their own database. So that would be things like Academic Search Complete, uh, PsycInfo, you know those databases? Mm -hmm. So they'd, they'd give you some limited citation ranking in there as well. Can I ask hmm. a question, yeah. Just because I'm unclear, you showed Bernard Mattel's profile yeah. in different places and yeah. different rankings yeah. like. But did Bernard have to do anything? Like, can you just go into Scopus and look up a person? Oh, yeah. 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 You don't have to set up a profile. No, no, no. No, no, not at all. No, no, yeah. no. Anybody can do it. Um, but what you can do, then the author themselves can go in and, you know, merge their author profiles. They can look yeah, or, or, or tell them that this yeah. is not my article or this is my article. It should be attached, yeah. Um, so journal citation reports, so this is uh, the Web of Science one, that's going to allow you to evaluate compared journals using citation data from about 12,000 scholarly technical journals, um, 3,000 publishers, 60 countries, all very impressive sounding. Uh, and, it, and it is a lot of journals, say like Web of Science would be one of the biggest you know, citation databases, so very useful resource. It'll also compare journals in your research area, and this is a very important thing, that you have to be comparing like with like. But there's no point in, I suppose, comparing a cell biologist with a historian. You know, completely different thing, you know, completely different productivity rates, citation rates and so on, different days, ways of working. So you have to compare like with like. Okay? You know, and this can be the danger of metrics sometimes. You know, you have to be doing that. It's only a measure. It's not the complete picture. So you have to, you know, uh, put it in context. Uh, you can also look at journals ranked by category. And say like with like. And it'll give you the top journals in a specific uh, research area. <coughs> so, for example, you'll get something like that. Um, and as I mentioned, there's a couple of indexes in there. So there's the Science Index and the Social Sciences Index. So this would be a listing, okay? And that's currently ranked on total citation. So there'd be, there'd be an economics group, and there's what's it, 333 journals in there, maths, biochemistry, pharmacology. And again, you could click again into those lists of journals and find out, you know, what is the top-ranking journal in your subject area, okay? You can also look at sorry, journals by rank. So again, they'd be the top journals. And as you'd expect, I mean, the, the top journals are up in the cancer area. As you'd expect, you know, highly published area, loads of research going on there, loads of activity. So you'd expect those to be up the top. Okay. And like crazy high impact factors. But again, you have to put it in context. You have to compare like with like. You know, it's not a fair comparison. You could also go in and just look at one journal. So if I want to see is journal cell biology, I go into the group, number of citations, its impact factor, 
aggregate impact factor. I have a list of those impact factors as well. I won't even start to go into those because they're all slightly different, you know. So I just have to bear that in mind. And again, as much you can select by year as well, so what year you want. Um, and of course, year will make a difference in citation as well. I, as you imagine, very recent stuff isn't going to be cited as much as older stuff because it does need time to be out there and be available to people. And you can compare journals. So for example, that's all, for, in this case, I have three journals I'm comparing. You know, so again, if you were getting published, you might think the Journal of Cell Biology might be the place to go. Obviously, much higher impact factor than some of the other ones. Okay. And again, you could change that by year. You know, and typically with these citations, they'll, they can measure them over two years, they can measure them over five years. I think the consensus seems to be that a five-year measure is better. You'll get a better idea. And again, these are just various. You have these for homework. Just some of the different types of impact factors and five-year journal impact factor. Um, and apparently, actually, the guy who developed uh, the impact factor, he, he wasn't happy with the two-year. So that's why he developed the five-year. So the five-year is actually considered more realistic. You know, Aggregate impact factors, trends, and so on. So there's, there's loads of variations. And I'm sure any statistician will tell you they're all wrong and they're not valid. So you know, it's just this ongoing process of different uh, measures. Uh, compared to this, just the Scopus version. Again, I'm just going to look at the journal Cell Biology and see how that appears. And again, these are just th how they rank them. So they'll do an SJR. So this is uh, looking at the prestige of a journal. So obviously, they're interested in measuring that as well as a factor. And they also look at, they normalize it for um, subject field. So again, because that could be an issue. You know, what your subject is it can make a difference. So they'll normalize it. Again, just loads of different statistical measures making allowance for different things. And this is the how they compare them. So again, you could your journal rank. So I've got four journals up there, and again, just measuring them out. Okay. And again, very easy to just add them in and select whatever journals you want to compare. And again, make your choices accordingly. Um, and again, so you can just click in here for that normalized impact, citations, documents. Percentage not cited can be of interest to you as well. You know, that can be very relevant. I think I have it here. Okay. Because obviously, you can see this, these journals, the percentage not cited is very low. So that obviously means the percentage cited is very high. So obviously they are important, very important journals. So it's saying that, you know, over, what, what are you at? Oh, well, over 90% of journal articles that are actually published in that journal get cited. So obviously they are the journals that other academics are reading. You know, they're the journal of record. They're taking their citations from those journals. So again, if you get published in those journals, you're doing well. You know, again, so they also measure number of reviews. Again, number of review articles can be very important in a journal. You know, that can measure, be a measure of prestige as well. So, I mean, they're great tools. I mean, they, just, they measure like, pretty much everything you can possibly think of, every variation that you want to look at. Um, so well worth having a look at. Um, this is the free one now, which is SkyMago, uh, freely available on the web via Scopus. Again, it's just the Scopus data set, or the Elsevier Scopus. Um, uses the Scopus data set. The coverage of web is, of, is wider than Web of Science. I suppose the difference, as I mentioned, is Web of Science is older. It goes back further, but Scopus covers, I think they've about 19,000 titles they cover in theirs, and tend to be better on proceedings and things like that. You know? So again, things to bear in mind. And uh, what's great, they're, they're in competition with each other as well, so they're always up in each other's game, so it's all good and healthy. Um, and yes, there's the prestige of a journal, and it's calculated over a three-year period. You know, and again, slight difference there. Scopus calculates a four-year period. 
Web of Science will do a five-year, a two-year period, they'll do a three-year period. So again, all bases are covered as well. And this is just what SkyMago looks like. Okay. And they'll do country rankings, journal rankings, um, and so on. So you can do quite a lot of uh, analysis in there. Um, I was actually reading today, I think the university rankings in the UK, you know, the Times rankings, they're going to be using Scopus data. So whether that means anything, there's been new developments. So. Again, I advise whatever you've access, use everything. If you have it, you use it, I think. So collaborations, another aspect of increasing your visibility. Um, I mean, this could be current or potential. So that could be done quite easily. I mean, you could do that in your own personal network. You can do that here. A few of you might walk away with collaborations. You know, that's often the way it is. You go to a conference, you get talking to people, you have similar interests, you know, and things develop. Um, you can also look at funding bodies' websites. They'll offer you know, e-research e partners database and funding. So find out who's getting funded and for what. And that can be a very useful way of you know, making connections with people. Attend conferences, network. Or you could use Scopus, SkyVal, Web of Science, Insights. Now those two, I haven't mentioned this before, SkyVal and Insights, they're kind of um, databases that sit on top of the Scopus and Web of Science again. And they're what institutions, they look at institutional level if they want to do benchmarking. Uh, look at international collaborations, current ones and potential collaborations. So again, very powerful tools for analyzing that. And they're getting a lot of interest. And actually, Insights is available. The Irish University Association are involved in that. So that's a consortium purchase from the Irish University. So most of you probably will have access to that one. Um, if you don't just ask for access, they'll let you have access. But for normal, your normal work, Web of Science and Scopus should be fine you know, to look for co-authors and so on. And then Altmetrics. Um, You'll see who's citing you, downloading you, viewing, and so on. And again, I'm going to talk about that in a second. So this is just, if you wanted to look at, um, this is a profile from SkyVal if you had access to it. And this will give you worldwide current collaborations. So this will be like where Minute is at the moment, what countries we're collaborating with. But it'll also give you then, based on that, potential collaborations. So that gets used a lot if, um, say, international offices traveling abroad, and they want to know, well, who are we working with in a certain university, and who should we be working with? And again, it's a way of... But again, it's something you could probably use as well to identify, you know, you know, uh, current and potential collaborations. And this is the same from Insights. Again, it'll give you, so these, these will be the minute subject areas, and again, our current collaborations and, you know, numbers and so on. Again, you can, you can do a closer analysis on that as well and find out exactly who you are collaborating with. Sorry, you're on this pastoral science. Are you looking up science collaborations or is it just it, it's well. These are the broad. I think trouble with that. These are all based on the Web of Science and Scopus data sets. They yeah. they would have been traditionally science. That they are increasing that. Yeah. But then a lot of people would still argue that the the RC humanities metrics aren't quite strong enough in it yet mm -hmm. to make decisions on. But on the other hand, it can also be then a useful place to find metrics. Yeah. They are in there. But yeah, if you wanted to say our RC humanities is strong as sciences, no, they're not. But they they're hoping to get there. Like they are increasing stuff all the time. You know so. And particularly, they're, all, they're both um, adding books now as well. So again, you know, RC Matters would tend to have a lot more book chapters and so on. But again, you know, this is the thing, I suppose, at the end of the day, science publishes more. You know, so they, they would have a longer tradition in it. And again, this is just how you can drill down. So for example, this is uh, Fiona Walsh, another Maynooth person. And you can see who, who is she collaborating with. And again, it'll bring you off and you could look at their profile and see in turn who are they collaborating with, you know. And again, find out, you know, potential collaborations for yourself. Um, but again, even if this makes you aware that these kind of tools are out there, 
that you know anything that is citable you can track so you can count authors articles geographic areas and so on you know it is all um, again, SkyVal Insights, what else do they do? You can get overviews of your institutions. You can showcase your research strengths. So again, if you wanted to showcase your organization, you can put it out there. Well, what, what, what are our research strengths? And promote them. Okay? It's a very easy way to track that. You can benchmark as well. So again, if you want to see who's the, who's the strongest academic or the strongest department, or you know, if there's people joining your institution, you want to find out well, who, wh where are they coming from? What's their organization like? What are their research strengths and so on? You know? Loads of potential there. Um, so altmetrics. Um, and any questions on all that? Is it, you know, loads of nice things to count, I suppose, the short version. Loads of knowledge to be had, you know, so just to, I suppose, bear that in mind. Now, the other side of things, and this altmetrics, which you might have heard of, so that's also known as alternative metrics, okay? And they're, they're up and coming. Um, what they're doing is they're counting all the other stuff that's out there. So it's all that good social networking you do. It's your Facebook, it's your Twitter, it's your uh, peer networks. It could be institutional repositories. It's all the places you now deposit your information that w wasn't there before and doesn't fit into that, I suppose, tight box of you know, peer-reviewed, big international publisher. You know, it's all that other, I suppose, bits of pr I suppose, profile that you would have out there, all that other... Uh, uh, information that's going on. And I mentioned there as well, it's article level metrics, which can be very interesting as well. So you can track like what's happening with individual articles, rather than, you know, maybe at a journal level. Because that could be a thing as well, you know, you might be, a journal might look very strong, but it might not necessarily suit your specific article. So with this, you can actually track individual articles and just see what interest are they getting in the research world? Like, are people talking about that article? Are they sharing it around? Are they saving it to their online bookmarking devices? You know, so it's another level of analysis, I suppose. Uh, so let's say you can look at social media. Uh, has anybody downloaded you, saved you? Um, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Mendeley. Mendeley is like, it's like, a, um, I suppose, an academic social network, and it's also a reference manager. So people will share all the references they found in there. They'll also um, download PDFs onto it. Uh, they can share PDFs, share articles. And that's the one that actually was bought by Elsevier recently because they were a bit upset about all this. They thought there was copyright implications. Because there's a lot of this going on, people sharing articles. But then they actually decided in the round they actually liked having all these academics and the contacts. And actually most of the academics that were using it had access to Elsevier anyway, so it wasn't a threat. But again, what they'll do in there is they'll form groups amongst themselves. You can pose academic questions, share material and so on. So very good resource. But again, you can monitor that as well. You know, who's reading your material in Mendeley? Who's downloading you? Who's liking you? Site you like would be another one. Um, Impact story is another uh, altmetric. And again, that's a free one online, so you can go in and just see you know, who's tweeting you, who's downloading you, who's Facebooking you, all this kind of material. There's a lot of variations on that. Um, article level, who's viewing you, who's discussing you, who's mentioning you, saving you, citing you, recommending you, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and it's not just articles as well, a lot of these. It could be people, journals, books, data sets, presentations, videos, source code, repositories you know, web pages and so on. So like, there's a lot more data out there than the finished, you know, peer-reviewed published article. And a lot of other ways to make yourself visible, which again can help your progress. Um, again, can be a bit controversial. As I think when you said, there can be a lack of standards and practice. A lot of people have questions about it. You know, how usable is it? Um, there's also questions over people gaming pages to increase views, to so get all your friends to tweet you, you know, that kind of thing, or get everybody to download you and cite you and 
and so on. But I mean, at the end of the day, it, it does, you know, it does measure, it does flag sco scholarly conversation outside the traditional impact measures. And a lot of academics, they do like to talk about things in the now. Again, depending on your subject, they want to know what's going on now. And they want, so that can be very useful, again, to see, are people talking about you? Are they looking at your material? You know, and again, another way to maybe network with people, you know, find, you know, fellow academics in your area. So is that, has anybody used altmetrics at all? Or? No, I'll tell you. But is, and you can imagine, because there is so much out there now in the, in the nature of social media, that it's something definitely worth looking at. Okay. And this is just what, what it might look like. So this is just a sample one. So again, these would just be different works by this guy, Carl Botiger. And again, you can check, is he highly cited? What's his, has he been viewed? Um, over here, these are just some of the key metrics they use. For example, so there's uh, 16 articles have been tweeted. He's been saved, 16 saved as well. Um, 23 data sets of his have been worked on. So that again will be data sets from his research have been commented on. 16 slide decks, so that would be presentations that he's done. You know, and you see huge amounts of, uh, and you notice yourself if you ever put anything up on SlideShare, like the number of downloads you can get is amazing. And that began just putting a presentation up there, making it available to the world and seeing what they think of it. And again, another way when you find people liking your, your slides, you'll find lots of other good slides that you can use. Can I ask a question? Is Impact Story freely available on the internet? It is, yeah. Yes, you can use it. Yeah, and they tend to give it to you. I mean, a lot of these, what they do, of course, they give you a certain amount free, yeah. and then they want to, it's usually a fairly minimal amount if you want to, you know, a more elaborate profile or to keep it going. <laughs> um, and they even have uh, what, Forks, which is a new one to me, and apparently a fork is when they actually pick up your, your uh, software products. It makes sense, I suppose. They just stick a fork in it and pick it up. But, uh, but again, you see, this one academic, he's got all this interest in his work, you know, without going to any of the major citations. Now, again, you could argue, well, how valid is all that? But it's certainly interesting. And he's certainly keeping a handle on who's actually looking at his work and who's interested in his work. And probably in turn then finding interesting people to, you know, to follow and look at their work. So, something to think about. Uh, this is another crowd, altmetrics.com. They have another, another, again, all these are fairly recent. You know, it's just a thing that's developing. And this is just their, their color coding at the top here. And these, these would be all just individual journal articles and what kind of impact they're making. So it's things like um, the red one there, picked up on news outlets, blogged, tweeted, mentioned, Facebook, uh, Google+, Mendeley, site you like. So all those kind of social media things that you'd be using. And this is just a way, again, of tracking you know, what's being used there. And again, you'll see, see that kind of graphic. If you're using Scopus at all, you'll see that graphic. And that's just people, because they, they're hooked into Mendeley. So again, who's reading you, who's viewing you, who's liking you, and so on. Um, and again, it's going kind of mainstream. As I mentioned there, Elsevier bought Mendeley. And that's going to be, they'll be using their data sets in Scopus. EBSCO have recently bought PlumX Analytics. And you might have heard of them. They're kind of doing the rounds at the moment, doing presentations on that. And that was one that was actually developed by a couple of uh, librarians. And again, that's measuring things. So this is, they're, they're looking at usage. You know, clicks, downloads, views, captures, so who's bookmarking you, who's favouriting you, uh, captures, mentions, social media, citations. So again, capturing all that information that's out there and putting it, I suppose, in a, in a usable format. And then I mentioned Mendeley, they look at readership statistics. So again, when your articles are up there on Mendeley, who's reading you, you know, who's bookmarking you, who's saving you, and so on. Again, Plum Analytics, you go to look, that, that'd be one you'd have to pay for. But say EBSCO are going to start using that. They don't say when they're going to start using, but it's, it's kind of in the mix. It's something they're going to be using fairly shortly. So that should improve the kind of results you get on EBSCO as well. Uh, 